raise your hand and we will get one to you. If you don't have one, you can follow along with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. you do not own a Bible and that one was given to you, please keep it as a gift to you from the Lord. I want everybody to have God's Word, not only in our hands, but in our hearts. So Lord, we thank you for your Word this morning, and we recognize it is your Word from your heart to ours. It's miraculous, Lord, how you speak to us through your Word by your Spirit, how you transform and change us. Thank you that you are the potter, we are the clay. So we entrust our lives fully to your hands, to your nail-scarred hands. Thank you that you are in control, that we can rest in you this morning. Thank you that you love us, you cherish us. Thank you for how you nourish us. Nourish us this morning. We need to hear from you. So speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We thank you for the great things you're going to do for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, so just by way of reminder, the Apostle Paul is writing uh, this letter, and by and large, it is a defense. He's defending his, his calling. He's defending his character, his apostolic authority. There was a number of people in the church in Corinth that had began to talk trash about the Apostle Paul. They began to lead a movement, um, really, that was, uh, that was uh, false, involved with false teaching as well. Paul will address that later, uh, address that later, address it later in this letter. Um, these people perhaps were even involved in leadership, and um, they had a, a major impact on what was going on in the church. And so the Apostle Paul, uh, again, by and large, it's a defense But I'm so glad he didn't need to defend himself. He could have let the Lord defend him. But I'm so glad he did because we learned so much about the Apostle Paul. There's so much. It's it's really an autobiographical account of his life and ministry. We learn about him, about um, what it means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart, serving the Lord, what's involved in serving the Lord. But the most important thing is we learn about God. As, we, as Paul's giving this defense, we learn about our Lord. And so we pick up now in chapter 4, verse 1. And God's word says, Paul writes, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. And so the chapter begins with a therefore. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the word therefore, therefore? What Paul has previously communicated in chapter 3, remember he talked about this amazing ministry that God has given to us um, as his children. He has made us all able ministers of the new covenant. You guys remember that from last week? The gospel of grace. He also called it the ministry of the spirit, the ministry of righteousness. All of us have been called to this ministry as believers to share the grace of Jesus Christ, his word. Really, ultimately, it's to point people to Jesus. It's that simple. Isn't that, I mean, the Lord made it simple for us, to point everybody back to the word, 
to point people back to Jesus and then allow the Holy Spirit to work through the word. He's taking all the pressure off of you and I. We're called just to be faithful, to share the truth in love with others. And so we've been given this ministry. In fact, he says there, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Listen, any opportunity we have to serve is undeserved. It is by God's mercy. That's what mercy is. It's God giving us what we don't deserve. And so um, one way, one, in one way or another, we're all called to serve the Lord. Are you with me on that? To, to, to allow God's grace to work through our lives, to point people to Jesus. And it's by his mercy. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. He's allowed us the privilege of serving him. He shares ministry with us. I find that remarkable personally. That the Lord would share his, his work, his ministry with us. And Paul says, as we've received mercy, aren't you glad we've received mercy, by the way? That's how we keep from losing heart. Not only we've received mercy, but we've also received a ministry. And how often do we get his mercies? They're new. How often? Lamentations, Lamentations 3. His mercies are new each and every morning. Well, wait a minute, it's afternoon. Is there no more mercies for me? Is the mercy, is it shut off? Is the tap shut off now on the mercy department? Remember what we're told in the book of Hebrews because of what Jesus did for us. We're called to do what? To come boldly before the throne of grace, to obtain mercy, to find mercy, to get grace in our time of need, to get what we don't deserve. Psalm 103 tells us that his mercies are limitless. Aren't you glad for that? That's how we don't lose heart. And there are some of us this morning, it's easy to get discouraged, isn't it? That's about 20% of the room. Is it easy to get, pray for the rest of us? Sometimes we get discouraged with ourselves, don't we? Sometimes other people discourage us. Sometimes the things in our lives that we're going through, the circumstances, the situations. Um, how do we keep from losing heart? I think the answer is right here. You want to quit. You want to throw in the towel. What's going to sustain you? It's the Lord's mercies. It's his mercy. Don't rely upon yourself. You look to him. And Paul says, I, I'm not falling apart. Why? Because God's given me a ministry and God has given me mercy. Every day we start fresh all day long. His mercies are available for the child of God and they are limitless. Do you know that God wants to help you this morning? Do you view God that way? That he wants to help you? God wants to help you. He wants to help me. And so we need to look to him, to his mercies. We don't lose heart. We don't lose courage. We don't throw in the towel. But we have renounced. Look at verse 2. Check it out with me. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And so we find the word but begins verse 2. It's a conjunction, and it ties us to the previous statement. Since we've received this glorious ministry, since we've received mercy, Paul says, number one, we have renounced We've turned our back on. We've said no to what? The hidden things of shame. And there are certain things that we hide that perhaps are shameful, that no one else can see, that no one else knows about. But really, the Lord sees, doesn't he? 
He's, he's the only one that sees. And Paul's like, listen, we're not a bunch of phonies. We've renounced those hidden things uh, of, of, of shame. We renounce the values of this world. We're not operating according to our, to our old man, the things we used to do. But what? He says we're not walking in craftiness. That speaks of um, achieving some, your own aim, your own aim with trickery or deceit. You know there's churches that do that. There's pastors that do that. There's whole ministries that do that. And you know, there's some good ministries that do that too, by the way. There are. There are. I have a friend who's a pastor, and I, sh- I shared this first service. I don't know if I should or not, but I've been praying for him, trying to minister to him. They view, they view people that come to the church, guess how they view them? As tithing units. Rather than God's precious people. Jesus said, if you love me, count my sheep. Is that what he said? Beat my sheep. To what? To feed my sheep. They're his sheep. We're God's precious people, you guys. We're not a number. We're not a tithing unit. And and, And what do some of these churches do? They what? They walk in craftiness. Another definition of craftiness is unscrupulous use of cunning which stops at nothing to achieve a selfish goal. And Paul says, you know what? We served God with integrity. Integrity was at the base or the core of our ministry. While many others are not, we are. We've renounced those values of the world, how the world operates, how the world does business. We didn't bring a business model into the church. We've done ministry the Lord's way and a Jesus style of serving others and loving others. That's so crucial, you guys. So important. He goes on to say, not handling the word of God deceitfully. The word deceitfully means to, uh, to contaminate, to tamper with, to dilute, to water down, or to weaken. Wow. You know what that tells me? Paul did not mess with God's word. Do you know that there are some people, some pastors and preachers that dilute the word of God? They water it down. Paul did not water it down. He didn't make it say something it didn't. He didn't shape it to the culture. He didn't didn't do it to please man. What did he do? He, He shared the word of God in truth. He rightly divided the word and communicated the word of God to God's precious people. This is absolutely crucial in the day we live in right now. There are lies being fed at us left and right. We need the word of God. Are you with me? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Paul's like, listen, hey, we want to be real. We are real with our ministry. We're not hiding stuff. That's super important because if you're faking it, it's not healthy. Correct? If If you're a fake or a phony, at some point it's going to out. It is weary and burdensome. I I tell my daughters this all the time. Listen, your sin will find you out. God will not allow his children to sin successfully. Have you guys found that true in your own life? He doesn't let us get away with anything, does he, as Christians? It's like, boom. That's how it is in my life. He pops me every time. And so Paul says we want to be real, sincere. We We want to live the truth that we're preaching. It's by manifestation, he says. Look at the end of that verse. Manifestation of the truth. Revealing revealing the truth by not only our words, but by our actions as well. 
Why? Because everyone's watching. There's people watching. But more importantly, what does he say at the end of the verse? Who's watching? God is watching. He sees. Again, Paul had this awareness of God's thereness that is absolutely crucial as we are serving the Lord, as we've received this ministry, as we are stepping out to, to serve Him, to walk with Him, to be reminded of that, that He is with us. That he, I mean, that's really super comforting, super convicting, isn't it? That He's with us no matter what. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so Paul says, this is how we're doing ministry, him and his team. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, but even if our gospel is veiled or covered or, or hid, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. So Paul says, listen, if the good news that we are sharing, it's hid or it's concealed. It is concealed from who? Those who are literally in the process of perishing. In other words, they're in the process of total wipeout, of being lost forever. And there are people that choose to reject the good news of Jesus Christ, aren't there? I mean, Paul, we look at this when Paul preached, not everyone believed. Not everyone received the good news. Have you found that true in your own life? Have you guys found that true in your own life? Or does everybody welcome you with a big, a big hug? No. And we have to just keep being faithful. That's required. That's the requirement for us is faithful to share those seeds, the seed of the word of God. The seed has the DNA to change that person's heart, to change that person's life. Are you with me? And so... There are those who choose to live in darkness and they are, they are heading towards perishing, heading towards total wipeout, heading towards hell, you guys. And Jesus said hell is a place to be avoided at all costs. And we're told in the next verse, those who are in the process of being lost forever, verse 4, notice what it says, their minds are what? What does your Bible say? Their minds are... You guys have your Bibles open still? Their minds are blinded by who? By the God of this age. Who's the God of this age? Satan, the devil. That's important. I, I read an Instagram uh, pretty recently. Someone said, we're going to church on Sunday and we're going to worship the God of this age. I'm like, no. <laughs> we don't worship the God of this age. The God of this age is the devil, the father of lies, the father of pride. He is a deceiver. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But notice, these are people that they do not believe. Not that they cannot believe, but they do not believe so that the light of the glorious good news of Jesus Christ should bring light upon them. And here's the problem. With resistance to the light comes a blinding to the light. In fact, Jesus talked about this. If you're taking notes, I'm going to read it real quick. John chapter 3, Jesus said this. He said, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds 
should be exposed. And, and don't you recognize that now that you're saved? You look back, right? Are you with me? You've chosen to follow who? The light of the world, Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And now we look back, we see clearly that it was our own wickedness that kept us from trusting in Jesus. The things that we were involved in. The, the, the practicing of evil or wickedness. That's what was keeping us from following Jesus. We came up with all kinds of justification and excuses, but the bottom line was what? We were happy to live in those things that were wiping us out, that weren't bringing us any hope or help or satisfaction. Well, notice it says about Jesus, he is the image of God. He's the exact representation. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 that Jesus is the express image of his person. Colossians 1, I love what it says in Colossians chapter 1, about Jesus, that he is the image of the invisible God. That when you look at Jesus, you see God. Why? Because he is God. So beautiful. And Paul goes on to say in verse 5, look what he says. He goes on to say, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. This is so crucial, you guys. He says, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. So Paul says when we preach, when we declare the good news, we don't make it about us. Why? Why? Because who's the gospel about? Who's the good news about? Jesus. The good news is about Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I'm not the message. I'm not the message. You're not the message. We're not the message. We are to point people to Jesus Christ. It's not about our brand it's not about our name. It's about the name of Jesus Christ, the name that's above every other name. And notice he says in the second part of that verse, he says, ourselves, your bondservants. What's a bondservant? It's a, it's, a, it's a servant or a slave that chooses to serve because they love that person. So Paul's like, we've chosen to serve you because we love you, because we care about you. And Jesus said, and isn't that the example that Jesus gave us? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for who? For, for many. And a servant, what does a servant do? A servant lives to make other people's lives better. Right? Is that what a servant does? They live to make other people's lives better. But can I point out? Some important words right at the end of that verse. Notice what it says. For Jesus' sake. Ultimately, who are we serving? This is, so, this is so crucial, you guys. Don't forget who you're doing it for. Because what happens? Because when you begin to serve others, when you begin to live to make other people's lives better, how do people treat you sometimes? They treat you like a servant, don't they? People say bad things about you. They did about Apostle Paul, didn't they? Sometimes they do bad things. Not in the church. Come on, pastor. Yeah, in the church, people go viral on you, say stuff. But you need to ultimately remember who you're doing it for. Who are you doing it for? For Jesus. Paul says, for Jesus' sake, we're doing this because ultimately we're serving him. Ultimately, I put my head down on the pillow at night and say, Lord, I did it for you. 
Everything I did today was to honor you, to bless you, to put a smile upon your face, to please you, Lord, because you've given me mercy. You've, set, you've given me a ministry. You've given me mercy. You've set me free and given me the privilege of serving you. And I'll take it, Lord, because you went through it too. How do they treat Jesus? Did everybody receive him too? No. One of his own guys turned on him. Think about that. Three, three to three and a half years with Jesus, all the stuff he witnessed and saw, and then sold out Jesus. That's heavy, man. It's part of the fellowship of his sufferings own ministry. The apostle Paul at the end of, the, end of his life, 2 Timothy said what? I got no one except Timothy. No one stood by me. Everyone bailed out. Really? Everyone bailed out on Paul? Can you imagine? How many people said, I'm, I'm with you all the way, man. I got your back. Yeah, with a pitchfork. <laughs> but what did Paul do? He continued to love and serve. Why? Because ultimately we're serving Jesus Christ. That's who we're doing it for. Please, if, if you don't take anything else out of this Bible study, please understand that. It will keep you going in ministry when you want to throw in the towel. When you want to lose heart and throw in the towel, guess what? There's going to be times it happens. It happened to the Apostle Paul. To remember who it is we are serving. It's absolutely crucial. Look at verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Who has done what? What has God done? Has shown in our hearts why? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a heavily packed verse, isn't it? So Paul, what does Paul do here? Paul uses an illustration from the book of... Which book does he use an illustration from? All the way back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, right? God said, let there be what? Let there be light. The earth was dark, without form, void. Some people say, some people say that the, the, the words speak of chaos or lack of order. And so Paul says, God did the same thing in your heart. There was darkness. Wasn't there darkness in our hearts? Paul says to the Ephesians, you guys once were dark. You were darkness. There was darkness in us, and God what? He revealed himself to us. The Holy Spirit convicting us of sin, righteousness, judgment to come, showing us our need for Jesus. And what did we do? We opened our hearts to him. And what happened? The light came on, didn't it? Did the light come on in your life? Everybody, hopefully everybody here. If not, you're going to get a chance in just a moment. <laughs> the light comes in. The light comes on. And guess what happens? There's order. Where there was once chaos, there's order, there's purpose, there's meaning now in your life. You know what life is about. You didn't come from some primordial sludge and some bunch of random circumstances over billions and billions of years. You are created by God with a purpose to know Him, to walk with Him, to serve Him, to make your life count for all eternity because eternity is just around the corner. For some of us, it's sooner than later. Or the Lord's coming, which He's coming soon. And so God said in our hearts, let there be light, and He lit us up. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. And He reminds the church of this miraculous thing that God has done in our hearts. And then He goes on to say, but, I love this, we have this treasure 
in earthen vessels. Why? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure. What is the treasure? Not a trick question. Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have this treasure. Listen, when you gave your life to the Lord, the greatest Christian of all time came and took up residence in your life. Jesus Christ. Is that what happened? Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens up, I will come in to him and dine with him and him with me. We will connect our lives together. He comes in and our lives are connected gloriously, beautifully. But it's in these, what does he say? Earth, is it earthen vessels? What's an earthen vessel? Clay pot. Thank you. Crack pots, right? We're a bunch of crack pots. <laughs> Fragile. Flawed. Sinful people that are messed up in need of Jesus, in need of his sufficiency, in need of his mercy, in need of his grace. Why? Why does God do it this way? Because who gets all the glory? Look at the end of the verse. That the excellence of the power may be of who? Of God and not us. So the Lord wants to be seen when he transforms our lives and changes us because he wants to do what? He wants to change more lives. And who does he want to use? Us. He wants to use your life and my life to see people get rescued. Listen, rescued people rescue people. To see more people come to know him, to know the one that we've fallen in love with. Are you still in love with Jesus this morning? We talk about the things we love, don't we? All I got to do is look at your Instagram. For some of you. I, I don't like stalk you, don't worry. Not a stalker here. Every once in a while, though, I get to scope it out. But God gets the glory. No flesh shall glory in his presence. And then Paul goes on. Check this out. This is so good. Verse 8. Is anybody else excited about this? Sort of. This is so good. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Why? That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul does something here. Paul gives a personal, his personal experience in the ministry and in life right here. It is a self-disclosure about himself that we don't find, we only find in this epistle, in this letter. Like three times he shares with us, very personally, with, with, I think with a lot of emotion. He says we are hard-pressed, we are, we are suffocating, 
with this heavy trials and situations in our lives. There's pressure. You guys ever been there? Anybody ever had pressure on their life where it's suffocating? If not, just wait. It's bound to come. (laughs) Challenges coming from every direction. And Paul says what? We're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're not pulverized. We're not smushed. Why? How come, you guys? Why are we not crushed? Because we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Because of Christ in you and Christ in me. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the, than he that is in the world. Isn't that good news? Can I use an illustration? Can I illustrate? Growing up in Southern California, I would collect cans to take them to the recycler to make money. Anybody ever do that? Crush can? You crush some of you guys? Yeah. You got to crush them first, don't you? Put them in your bag, take them to the recycler, get a little cash, right? Go to Thrifty, get 15 cent ice cream. <laughs> Stack it up real high because you've got some loot. But listen, what if you put cement in one of those cans? Could you crush it? Why? Because of what's inside of it. Listen, you're not going to be crushed because of who's inside of you. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul goes on to say, we're perplexed. You ever been perplexed? Bewildered? Baffled? We don't always understand what's going on, do we? Anybody here ever ask why? Why are you allowing this in my life, Lord? Why is this happening? Why did I lose my job? Why is this person turned on me? Why did I lose this person? What's going on? Maybe that's not hitting home. How about this one? Lord, I'm having a hard time reconciling your love with my current situation. I don't understand. I don't get it. You know what? Sometimes we don't worship the Lord because of the whys. Why this? Why that? Why, why, why? Instead of saying, I'm going to choose to worship you, Lord. Why? Because he says there. I'm having a hard time connecting the dots. I'm baffled. I'm floating around in the deep. Remember Paul? He talks about that later. I I was spending a night floating. Why would I float around in the deep? Why is this happening to me? Why did I get stoned with rocks back there? Why did I get whooped and beaten? He says we are perplexed, but not in despair. That word despair means we're not completely disoriented. We're not without help or without resource. Did you catch that? We are not without help and not without resource. Oh, we're, we, we don't understand what's going on. But here's something we do know. That the one who's come into my heart, when he came into my heart, he brought all this stuff with him. What do I mean by that? Second Peter chapter 1 tells us. He has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And he's given us exceedingly great and precious promises. Has he given us great promises? He has, hasn't he? 
So when there's things I don't understand, I need to lean on the things I do understand. Lord, you made this promise to me. Does God keep his promises? He does, doesn't he? He's faithful. He's reliable. He's dependable. And so I don't understand why right now, Lord, but I trust you that you are faithful. You are reliable. You've given me promises and I'm going to look to you and continue to worship you. Trust him. Listen, we're control. We are control freaks, aren't we? Are you guys lying in church this morning? <laughs> we are control freaks, a lot of us. It's okay to be honest in church. We, we, we renounce the hidden things. But when you said, Lord, I surrender my life to you, we've given him our, the keys to the car, haven't we? He's a good driver, by the way. I've seen some of y'all drive out of here. No, I'm just playing. Listen, you said, Lord, here's my life. Blank check, whatever you want to do. Your will be done. Right? Don't we pray that prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. We pray that prayer, don't we? That means, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm down. However you want to use my life. And Paul says, listen, we're perplexed, but we are not in despair. We're not without help. We're not without resource. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Was Paul persecuted? He was chased and hunted like an animal, wasn't he? Hunted down by people, targeted, but he wasn't ditched. He wasn't forsaken. That's a great thing. He reminded himself what? Of the words of our Lord and Savior. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. David said in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For David, it was a stroll. I'm walking through the valley, not running. I'm just cruising through with my good shepherd. I can rest because he's with me. His rod and his staff, they what? They comfort me. The God of all comfort is with you no matter where you go. You're not alone. No matter what people are saying about you or doing to you, the Lord's right there with you to help you, to strengthen you, to comfort you, to give you what you need. Struck down, but not destroyed. Struck down, put down, thrown down, cut down. Physical pain, down, but not out. You guys ever seen that toy? I had one when I was a kid. It was like this, like it was shaped like a bowling pin and you could box it. And it would go down and it would pop right back up. Anybody ever see that toy? That's what he's saying here. Boom. But we get right back up. Boom. We get right back up. Why? Why? Because Paul knew. Do we know this morning you're immortal until the Lord calls you home? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Can we say that this morning? For me to live is for Jesus. I'm sold out for him. To die, it's gain. I pass right through the veil into eternity with my Savior. Struck down but not destroyed. Nothing can take me out of the game. Why? Because I know where I'm headed. I'm heaven bound. And Paul says in verse 10, listen, 
always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Jesus spoke about taking up our cross how often? Quarterly? Take up your cross once a quarter or so. Take up your cross how often? Daily. Deny the self, death to the self. And following Jesus. That's where life is found. Resurrection life is found when we say no to our stinking selfishness. Our self-centeredness. To experience his resurrected life. The me, the old Mike has to die on a daily basis. That I would experience his resurrection life. Christ is seen in us, revealed through us, made apparent to others. When we what? When we die to ourselves. And then he says in verse 11, For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. We're going through gnarly trials, heavy stuff, tribulations, all of this. But Paul says those are an opportunity. Those things are an opportunity for what? To reveal Jesus. That his life would be manifested means to be revealed through us. That when we suffer, you guys ever suffer? Anybody ever go through suffering? It's an opportunity for the Lord to shine through our lives. What do you mean by that, Mike? Listen, for some people, the only way for them to see Jesus is when you or I are suffering. And God brings that person into our life when we're going through a difficulty. And as you keep pushing through, as you keep pressing on, as you keep praising the Lord through it, you go through trials still trusting the Lord, still still faithful to Jesus, serving Jesus, there's a beautiful reality of the life of Jesus Christ that is shining through you. Listen, it's heroic. My heroes in this church are those people that have gone through suffering, those that have gone on ahead of us to heaven, that in the midst of their suffering in the hospital with cancer and other things, and they are praising the Lord still, talking about Jesus still, and they are shining. It's like, I don't know. I mean, they literally, they look like they're shining. Why? It's because they've chosen to worship the Lord. Oh, they didn't get the poor Mimi's or sing the blues. Listen, people see Jesus in us with our flaws, with our weaknesses, our struggles, our failures, our sufferings. Can I encourage us this morning to embrace the process? To embrace the process. Why? Because there's, a, there's meaning in our suffering. There's meaning in it. We are connected to Jesus in a special way when we suffer. And guess what? It's an opportunity to show the glory of the Lord, the treasure that's in these earthen vessels, in these clay pots. Paul says in verse 12, So then, death is working in us, but life in you. This is so good. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that He who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you for all things are for your sakes. Why? That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving 
to abound to the glory of God. Look at Paul's perspective here. This is so vital, crucial this morning. Verse 12, Paul says, listen, on our end, there's pain, there's suffering, but on your end, there's life. In other words, he's saying, my pain means your gain. My pain means your gain. Can I encourage us this morning? There's sometimes we obsess on things that are hard and difficult, and we miss out on the things that are good that God is doing. We obsess over those things, the difficulties, the hardships, and we miss out on the good stuff that God is doing all around us. I think about the man with the withered hand. Remember the man with the withered hand that came into the synagogue on the Sabbath? You guys remember that? He was at church. He wasn't at home blaming God. He was there. I bet he tried to, he only worshiped one, probably one hand lifted up. And who was there that day? Jesus called him out in front of everybody. And he experienced healing when he did what the Lord asked him to do. He didn't say, why are you picking on me, a handicapped guy? He just did what the Lord said. And that's where he experienced the resurrection power of the Lord, the strength of the Lord, when he, when he was willing to do what the Lord asked him to do. Imagine if he wasn't at church that day. He was at church worshiping you guys. That's why it's so crucial that we gather together as God's people. Every time we do, something special happens. I'm excited to come to church to see you guys because I know God's going to do something special in your life if you're open to Him because He's here with the power to heal, to help, to work in your life, to change you, to fix you. I don't, it's not me fixing anybody. It's the Lord. He wants to do that. And Paul's like, listen, we'll go through suffering. I'm willing to suffer because Paul saw his life as a living sacrifice, a sacrifice to the Lord and a sacrifice of laying his life down for others. By the way, what's God's heart, you guys? God's heart is to reach the lost, isn't it? Is God's heart to reach the lost this morning and to transform their lives, just like he's transforming your life right now? I look at that. Paul gave himself to that. Paul gave himself to seeing people get reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ and their lives transformed and changed. Listen, this morning, laying down our lives is where we find life. Didn't Jesus say something about that? Did he say something about that, you guys? Yes. Mark 8. Jesus said it, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. How do we find life? By losing our lives for his sake, for the gospel's sake. Listen, when we lay down our lives for others, we're following Jesus' example. We help others find life. Are you with me this morning still? I'm saying this is so vital, laying down our lives, because listen, this is, this is something that's becoming foreign to the church today. We become consumer Christians. Sadly. Laying down our lives is really, doesn't sound too cool. Not too hip, not too relevant. 
But that's what the Lord has called us to, each and every one of us as Christians. By this we know love, that he gave his life for us, and that we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. There are numerous ways we can allow God's grace to work through our lives. That's what Paul's communicating here. Look at the next couple verses as we finish up. He says, and hey, we're connected by the same spirit of faith. According to what is written, verse 13, he quotes from David, Psalm 116. I believed and therefore I spoke. What did belief, trust translate into? Speaking the truth. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus, the Father raised the Son, he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Isn't that beautiful? Do you know this this morning? He says, knowing this, just as Jesus was raised, you too will be raised, and there's going to be some kind of presentation in heaven of us at the throne as God's children. It's glorious. Do you, do you know this this morning? It's great hope, isn't it? Isn't that great hope that we have again? Your present suffering is not the end of the story. The end of the story is you presented faultless before the throne with exceeding joy, we're told in the book of Jude. All things, this is the last verse, we don't have time to finish the chapter. All things are for your sakes. It's all for you, Paul says. Paul, Paul, remember what he said earlier? We are helpers of your joy. We're not, we're not lording it over you. We don't have dominion over your faith. We're helpers of your joy. All things are for your sakes. That grace, what's grace? What's grace? Unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. Has God given us kindness and favor? We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. His grace is lavished upon us. You guys like God's grace? It's good, isn't it? We've received grace. That grace having spread through the many. Paul says that grace that we've received, it's flowing through us into your lives. And what's it causing? People to be thankful. Thank, thank you. And who gets the glory? Who looks good? God does. Can I, can I encourage us this morning? Spreading the grace of God to many is what ministry is all about. Giving people grace, sharing with people about God's grace. And sometimes the grace of God is spread through our suffering when we're going through difficulty. Are you a conduit of his grace this morning? Listen, can I remind us of one more thing as we finish up? The grace of God has come to us through the suffering of his son. Through his suffering, that's how we receive grace. And the Lord wants to use you and I in that same way. Through suffering, through difficulty. No matter what it is you're going through this morning, you'd say, Lord, just use my life. I'm down. I want your grace to flow through me 
that other people would experience God and that you get the glory. I want my life to count. Listen, is your life counting right now? It's not too late. If you're saying, you know what, I haven't been serving the Lord, it's time. You're still, we're still sucking air, correct? Still got a pulse? The Lord didn't rescue you and take you home. He's rescued you and saved you. He's given you a ministry. He's given you mercy. Why? For such a time as this. No other time like it. Well, Pastor, I don't know how to share, man. I got this mask on my face. I feel like a bandito every time I go into the store. Listen, the Lord will give you wisdom because he loves people. Do you know that this morning? Do you know he loves Antifa? Not what they're doing. Do you know he loves those people? Is that amazing? He sent his son to die for them. He sent his son to die for ISIS. I wouldn't send my son to die for anybody. He sent his son to give his life for you and me, for them. And he's rescued you and I. By his grace, he's rescued you and I. What, so we could just sit around and have a big hallelujah hoedown? Know that our lives would be changed and transformed and that we would in turn go out. Didn't Jesus say something about going out in the world and doing something? Isn't there something in the book about that? Go and make disciples. He didn't say you and the world go to church. He said you and the church go where? To the world. Make disciples. And he ends it with what? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll help you. You know the Lord will help you even with your mask? He'll help whatever you got going. Whatever hang-ups, hiccups, however you're jacked up, the Lord will help you. Amen? Amen. Aren't you grateful for that? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much. You're so good, Lord. So patient with us. Lord, help us. Thank you for giving us a ministry, giving us mercy. You don't deserve any of it. I pray, Lord, for those that this morning that are getting close to losing heart. That these things we've looked at this morning, your word, would touch their hearts. That you would be the lifter of their heads. brothers and sisters would be encouraged that our hearts would be fixed upon you, our eyes would be set upon you, Lord. Just as it's said about Moses that he endured seeing him who is invisible, that we would focus our spiritual eyes upon you, Jesus. Jesus.